everybody, you're listening to the Resource Podcast. It's Alicia here to talk to you about various things. I have a great guest. Um, Julius identifies, even though you that like regret, I am Sasha Fierce. <laughs> Julius is no, no, I, I, I will not. I will not comment on that at this oh, time. <laughs> no, I, that's not true, though. I think that B-Day is the best album. I don't think that I Am Sasha Fierce is the best album. That's wrong, too. And we discussed that's that before we, did. we started this thing. But that's self-titled, self-titled is number two. I think self-titled is one. Mm. I think self-titled is better than Lemonade, which is an, which is an unpopular opinion. I feel like Lemonade, the poetry made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yep, the but alright, we are not here to discuss Beyonce. No. I'm gonna start every episode. The last episode started with Beyonce. Every it should. As it should. She's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> this is Beyonce's internet. We, yes. do, we deserve to give her credit. Her. Um, so yeah, this is Julius Hall, a dear friend yeah. that I had the pleasure of going to college with. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah she directed Lawrence. me in a play. Sarah Lawrence. Shout yes. Out. Fifty-two Shades of Brown. Wow, that's a that's a throwback back for it me is. that's like was that, 2016 2016 it's almost years ago four now. years ago it's it's actually you know uh, everyone from that show has gone in so many different directions yes since that that production and but also like that show was we were like the Hamilton. Yes, uh, no, we were, and it was historic. Like it was the first. Yeah, like we were all black. Like Sarah Lawrence is very white and very like neoliberal, and like we like came in there, and we were like, yeah, yeah. And it was I don't know, it was a great time. So, but now Julius is out in the world. Yeah, acting, got his yes. own little show. I know. I say yes. little. It's a good show. It's, it's a very, and very it'll be show. it'll it'll be little. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be the space is like fifty two seats, but that's you know that's See, intimate. That. Intimate. 52 too, the number. Look at that. The circle. Cyclical. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a full circle moment. Yes. I didn't even think about that. I'm going to put that in the program. <laughs> Be like, the number 52 has significance to me. <laughs> yes. Much like the number four yes. with Beyonce. Yes. Not to equate us, but we are one and the same. They uh, really are. Yeah. Imagine, uh, this is, um, uh, you know, everyone's listening to this, but like, Julius looks like a, a crossbreed between Beyonce and Prince. Yeah. And acts like the personality is there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so true. And, um, you know, a Prince is who, like, mm-hmm. no one knows anything about Julius. I think about, I don't know, you've, you've probably seen this meme, but it's with Prince and, uh, it's not really a meme, it like actually happened on a talk show, but someone's like, Prince, it's so good to see you, and Prince was like, well, it's nice to be seen. And I, <laughs> for, like, oh, I have never like related to something so strongly, and I think it was Venus that like called me out on that, Venus was like, this is literally you, and I was like, Wow. For context, Julius is a cancer with a cancer moon, no? Yes, I am. I'm a cancer moon, too, so this is going to be a very thoughtful, yeah. emotional, emotional episode. A lot of emotions. Um, yeah, like, you want to talk about your show a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my show uh, is called If I Knew You Were Coming, I Would Have Worn Eyeshadow. Um, or we can just say Eyeshadow for short. That's like the easy, because the title is a mouthful. Um, I love it, though. Yeah, no. I, the promo? Yeah. Ooh, I was like, bitch, work the list. Yeah. I'm gonna, that's gonna be the promo for the show. Please, like, yes, please. Put it out there. You can. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's so. Fu- I have some good stories about filming those promos, so, but we can get to that later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a. It's an experimental theater piece that's like 
kind of a, a direction that I have been wanting to take for a while, but have been like a little, not nervous, but hesitant, like yeah. to to go that direction because I think a lot of people are used to, um, like the actor Julius, um, yeah. which is very like. Uh, you you get material that someone gives you and you you analyze it and you you do what they want you to do in a way um, and I was finding that like a lot of the roles that I was getting especially over the past one or two years and this really like is gonna get into like being an actor in New York City like getting just started um, I was doing like a lot of short plays where the rehearsal processes were super short and you did the show and you went home mm-hmm. and like I've done and this is a blessing and I'm not complaining about it at all, but I've done so many short plays where it's like, I almost forget who I was even working with, where the theater was. Like sometimes I get- Just showing up. I'm just showing up. Yeah, you just end up showing up to do the job, um, but you don't feel the same level of like artistic fulfillment. And so when I, when I was at Sarah Lawrence my junior year, I did uh, the director's symposium at La Mama mm-hmm. in Italy. Mm-hmm. And that was like an eye-opening experience. I think that was that was after Fifty Two. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was still doing like, like not normal work, but like regular theater. What I had been conditioned to know what performance in theater was. Yes. And then when I went to La Mama in Italy, that like changed completely, um, because I was introduced to so many different forms and and ways of performing, yes. and like creating your own work. Like having the confidence to say I can make something, and doing it. and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's it was like a groundbreaking thing for me. So then when I came back, my senior year, and then going into my first few years post grad, I like wanted to make it a mission to, to be a maker, of things. Um, I think that's the most important part too. I think as a creator, you're so stuck on like, is this a good idea? Should I show people these things? And then, like. I heard Tyler Creator say it this year that like he was so excited to like turn twenty five mm-hmm. and start making shit. Right. Like and like actually because he had grown. Like we're always so like, oh like if we're not making it right now, like we're not gonna be a great artist. Yeah. But like there's so much time that like we can write better things. I don't know that we should just like be making it even if it's like you don't like I looked at a film that I made like two or three years ago, like yesterday or the day before and I was like wow like I've come a long way mm-hmm. and it's good to like be able to look back yeah from that but I don't have anything in between that because I was so scared right. to like make things and like it's very fun to see benchmarks of mm-hmm. like I was there and now I'm here and I think that as artists instead of being so like I don't know I don't want to make this I don't know if it's okay I don't know if it's gonna be great to just make it and don't waste good ideas no <laughs> but Mm-mm. if you don't have the funds but yes Mm-hmm. Like all these little things, like you have to do to grow. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you say benchmark because I was thinking and shout out to Monet Tibu who is the writer of Fifty Two Shades of Brown. I love Monet. I love, I Monet. <laughs> um, when when I look back at that show, and it's not it has nothing to do with the writing. It has to do with like the direction and like the design of the show itself. I look back on that and I'm like. Tch so many things could have been better. Like, I could have done this, like, me now, I would have done this differently and this differently and and would have approached the rehearsal process completely differently. Um, But you have to go through 
those things. things. Yeah. And with theater, I mean, it's different. Like, that show can always be brought back. Always. What if we did a We Are <laughs> Where We Are Now? I don't think that would happen. <laughs> Wait, you should do it with the podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <gasps> oh, that Everybody would be wild. Everybody back and like, where are they now? Yeah, that would but be yeah, like, I Yeah, like, that's what's beautiful about theater that I don't think that is granted in film or mm-hmm. other art forms is that, like, once you make something and it's, like, out there, you can't, like, repurpose it. Yeah. Sometimes music you can, but theater, I think, is beautiful that, like, the same play can be made. Over and over and over again. spins. Yeah. Things happening, the same director, but at a different time. Like, mm-hmm. that's why I really like about theater. Yeah. And, and that's, I even, like, and to pivot back to my show, Eyeshadow, it's, like, I... I got the opportunity to go back to La Mama in Italy this past year um, for the Next Generation Artist Program um, and work work on the show there. And it's completely different now than it was six months ago now. I think it's like six or seven months ago. It's a completely different show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because I've, I've had time to like marinate with it and think about what, what am I trying to say with this show? Um, and I still, I don't know if I have, like, the complete answer to that. Um, but I think that it, it's going to continue to evolve. And I hope, I hope this isn't the last time that the show happens. Of like, course. I hope that it Because isn't it again. as a stand right now or reading? It's, it's like a workshop production. A workshop? Okay. Yeah, so there is, there is going to be some staging and there is going to be some, like, design elements. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not going to be in its, like, Broad fullest form. form. Yeah, yeah, like, like. Broad or fullest form. It's yeah. just, like, a perfect see it and i we're going to talk about that eventually cuz yeah. you said something interesting uh, about the european approach yeah. to theater mm-hmm. about a process of making and creating that yes we're going to get to everybody so yeah. that's a little nugget to keep listening but mm-hmm. i wanted what i was coming up with like what episodes i'm going to have of the podcast i really wanted an episode about queer art and even more so black queer art yeah and to say that that like it's not even like you're what you're about to say or about to talk about is not everyone's experience totally of course mm-hmm. and yes but i feel as though it's a great time right now because there's a lot of things being made mm-hmm. and i mean i've only been alive for what 22 23 years yeah but you it's know same, it's same. kind of like seeing the transition between like 2009 where it was just like legalized gay marriage to like full mainstream culture right and i don't even know what mainstream is because i talk to some people and they're like not on the same wave or like they don't know things that i know yeah also i went to sarah lawrence which is a very queer queer school but yeah over the last 10 years i've seen like a huge different change in like what is being put out mm-hmm. like pose like i binge watched that loved it but yes, that yes. experience mm-hmm. is not so what is queer art and even further queer mean to you that word yeah absolutely um i think i i'm gonna answer this question using the word mainstream which Mm -hmm. you talked about a little bit i think that a lot of i think that there are forms of of queer art making that have become close to mainstream but haven't quite I, i yeah haven't quite done it and i don't think that there will be a time in, I, I hope that there is. I don't think that there will be a time in our generation where queer art uh, reaches what our understanding of mainstream is because I think that the, the, the concept of what it means to be queer sometimes, I th- and this is, like you said, my personal experience, yeah. I think that 
like we we live in a world that is so focused on identity yes and like for me my understanding of what it means to queer something is to take the idea of identity and throw it out of the window like we don't we like for me personally i'm like we 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 need to strip all of those things away right it's like <laughs> like rupaul says you're born naked and the rest is drag and it's that that's that's so true you yeah. know we like every everything that we do in our, like right now i'm in a hoodie and sweatpants right and i'm i'm my drag is like relaxed environment mm-hmm. right but it would be completely different if i you know walked out of my room and i had heels and a, a mini skirt on and a bra like exactly. that would be a completely different perception so for me queering something is like taking taking identity and saying i can make as many variations of the rubik's cube as I possibly can and you just and whoever the audience is takes that and and doesn't have any opposition to it being different later down the line mm-hmm. right and I don't think that we're in a place in society where that is like Except, acceptable not acceptable but and I think that people don't even accept it themselves right and you know going to Sarah Lawrence and then transitioning back into like what one would say mainstream culture like I moved back to Connecticut and I teach kids and like, you know, they're just repeating things that they hear on TV. Right. And they don't even know within themselves what is possible. I, growing up, you know, I do identify that I, I like, like everybody. Like, yeah. I do consider myself queer, but I don't necessarily think that I present that way. Right. So I don't comment on it. I have always felt attraction to everyone, yeah. but I've never felt the reason to say to my my family like i'm coming out i see the power in that Mm -hmm. that's not me criticizing anybody else's experience but Mm -hmm. for me i just even for my friends like it was never something that i wanted to talk about because i identity like what is identity if other people aren't around right and i feel as though like writing down or saying like i am bisexual i am this or i identify as this I feel as though it's cheap, cheaping how I feel about my own identity because no one can touch that. Mm-hmm. And there was an article that really like uh, caught my eye, and in that article, she said like gender is something that my gender can't be touched. So like you can't misgender me because that's above your reach and your access mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that I like really connected with that because I've never felt like I've had to do that but that's because I have the privilege that no one really knows people assume that Alicia likes guys whatever and I feel like it's different when obviously numbers get involved I was explaining this to my sister I was like resources are needed so I think that's when identity is important Mm -hmm. when violence is done yeah when obviously a group of people are being oppressed and abused but i think that that looks different when you're just alone yeah 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 it's like it's like oh what 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 would we say is identity in a vacuum of space right right because because queer people because queer art doesn't exist in a vacuum we have to use you know some type of like labeling to define it in in some way or another but i i also think that like queer art itself like any space that i enter i am queering that space yes you know like in instantly that that that's happening um 
and and that I don't think that 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 thing of like me coming into the space and making it different will ever be something that society it looks at and says yeah I like that's that's just how it is right because yeah. then we would have to acknowledge we would have to go really deep into ourselves to say why do we why do we need these things like I think I think it was James Baldwin said he was talking about race you know and not to not to equate you know race gender sexuality and all of those things like those are all very different very different they have intersections and they have separations um but he was saying you know the the white man needs the negro Mm -hmm. and for for us to address the issue of race the white man has to go within in themselves and say why do i need to differentiate myself from that person like why do i as an individual need to create a power dynamic or a social dynamic that separates me from that person right and of course our differences i think are things that make us beautiful and and make us unique um but there is also so many things about us as human beings that are the same yeah you know whether that's in the way that we make art or the way that we love our families, the way that we, you know, go about our day-to-day things. Um, but then there's there's also differences. And it's, I think, for queer people and, and, like, queering ideas and concepts and all of those things is to to say that, yes, we all are different and we all exist at the same time. And that is okay. Exactly. And I don't feel as though, like... And again, I think that when you're collecting data on resources, violence, and like trying when we're all around each other is important. But I just feel so drastically different in a day. Yeah. Like I, like how I feel about things, and that's okay. And I didn't realize that until I came in. Obviously, when I was older, but I remember being attracted to women a lot when I was younger, and I actually thought that I was a lesbian. And then growing up that changed and then like it's like day to day month to month I don't know what I like and then also like how I express myself I feel like people are sometimes limiting and having to describe it but I understand it because in a world that everyone just wants to have a definite answer it's Mm -hmm. so much easier to say one thing is one thing yeah yeah than saying like I am very multifaceted people run away from themselves yeah and sometimes that can be easier because going in within yourself and saying like what do i actually feel like who i am am i is uh difficult yeah and like even i realize that talking to like my parents sometimes that they're Mm -hmm. like they feel that they have to define everything and i'm like no Mm -hmm. like this feeling and i've had friends who have expressed that they're queer and Mm -hmm. like they're like i don't really know because I, I just would have defined it as something and I'm like you don't have to yeah. and they don't have to like obviously your gender and your sexuality definitely don't have to like oh how am I going to present how are people going to look at me but that's what I mean like identity is so based off of other things like mm-hmm. I remember and I didn't realize this until also people would I would be talking about issues um, regarding people who are trans and mm-hmm. I was like I'd be like I feel like a woman and I couldn't imagine if I felt like something and someone told me I wasn't 
Like, that's what my, like, talking with people who are very transphobic, I'm just like, imagine that in your experience. And then I was just like, when I'm questioning and reflecting on like that, what does it mean to say, I feel like a woman? Hmm. I don't know what that means. And right. like, I'm like, because woman is taught to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what woman means. Yeah. Um, and I think that that goes into art and like, when you're making stuff, because I, I mean, and again, Absolutely. gender, race, very different things. Sexuality, race, very different things. But even being black, like, yeah. I don't, Absolutely. I don't know, I know what being black means, but do I know it, only know what that means when other people are around. Because right. I know who yeah. I am as Alicia. I kind of think I know yeah. how I feel like when I'm alone and with my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. But that gets complicated when other people are around. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, too, like, for me, that that queer art making exists in that world of questioning things. Yes. Like, in, like not working necessarily, and this is something that I've had to fight for myself, it's like not working for the sake of answers. It's like working for the sake of living within the question. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that that is like the question. The crux, I think, that I, I find myself in a lot because, you know, if we're in an American capitalist, you know, theater mode, then we're working towards the show. We're working towards selling the tickets. We're working towards making a profit right. so that we can, you know, pay the bills and all those things. And that which, involves solid lines of, bound, of like, right. this is that. And mm-hmm. then we're going to get into that because eyeshadow is not a regular show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like uh, there's there are characters, but we don't reach all of the resolutions for them. The forms are here and there and everything. It's It's like sand. But it's still entertaining. And that's, yes. I think that that's watching someone go through the process of, of living in the question can be entertaining. Watching life happen. Yeah, watching life happen. And that's, and that it doesn't have to be um, this perfectly packaged thing that's delivered to the audience, right? Like we, we think sometimes that people that consume art are dumb, which yeah. sometimes they are. But sometimes, most times, like nine times out of ten, people they're going to follow you. Yeah, they're they're there to follow the journey with you, and they may not understand it, but maybe part of it isn't for them. Exactly. Like maybe part and of it's it is not. For you. Maybe it's not for them yet. Yeah. And I think that people, when they're consuming art, it has to make sense. And I don't always think that I have a. I think that always has to be. And I have a friend who like we watch movies together, and he's just like. I really don't like how that ended. Like, I love movies until the end because they have to wrap it up in some way. I hate that. <laughs> and, like, it, it's right. just, like, life isn't like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you roll credits. And I think that when we're, you know, when we're taught to write, it's just like, okay, beginning, middle, end, journey. And it wasn't, so like, a formula. What does that take away? Yeah. What does a, a character... Or concept, what, where can that go if it's not like, oh, this person wanted something and then they needed something, which is like the formula for any screenplay, yeah. for any stage play, like a character wanted something, they couldn't get it, they go through a journey to realize what they need. Right. Mm. Which I think can be extremely limiting. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. And that, now that you're saying that out loud, I'm thinking to myself, like, that is not the path that I'm taking with the yeah. show at all. Like, there's no... Um, 
there's not really a sense of, of resolution um, with with the story itself. Um, but I guess I will like talk a little bit more about like what the show is about, like what the contents of the yeah. show is about, if that's okay. And I think that like through this episode, as we talk, because there's two things going on, people who are listening. There's talking about the idea of queer and then the show. And I think yeah. that they are very connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, indirectly and directly. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I wanted to talk about is how does black queerness survive and thrive in different environments? Mm-hmm. So you yes. know, you've lived in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. I, and mm-hmm. I saw this tweet, and I wish I had the at. Um, I'll, I'll post it. Uh, it said, you know, the queer experience is always captured in San Francisco and New York City. Like, mm-hmm. you don't really hear about, like, there are queer people everywhere. The Midwest, like, all this, the South, like, what does, how does that look different? And you've lived in Texas, New York, Italy, other yeah. places. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like your experience has changed in each place as a ju- artist and as someone who is queer? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I think it, uh, I guess to like go back in time, like I frequently tell people that like when I was when I was living in Texas and when I was younger, I was called a faggot far before I was called a nigga. Like that, mm-hmm. like those two things, like my my presentation or like the way that I acted was like defined from a very early age by other black people. Mm-hmm. Right, like I, it was, it was determined that I was this thing, mm-hmm. um, which they were. I, black people know they they know the <laughs> truth. Like they, they in that situation, they they had the answer, and it's true. Like that's that's who I came to be. Um, but when I moved to New York, it be, it became an interesting thing where I think that my race be, became more more prominent than my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which was a new experience for me, especially like coming to Sarah Lawrence, because when I, I mean, when I was in high school, I went to a, a predominantly white high school, but maybe, maybe in more indirect ways, my race was brought up, um, but it became much more apparent to me when I was in college and like when I came to somewhere like Sarah Lawrence, where it was like, no, these are white people, we are black people. Mm-hmm. And we have to create a space for ourselves yeah. to to address things that are happening on campus. Are happening on campus, right? It was like it was like things things had to happen for me to not that I had never in my life sat down and said, Oh, I am a black person and this is these things have happened to me. But when I came to Sarah Lawrence it was like I'm not the only person that these things have happened to. Like, like there's, there's a, a shared experience that's happening, like a, a diaspora. Like when I came to college, like that was the formation of that idea. And that's not to say that like when I was in the South, that that wasn't existing, but I didn't have the language for it. Like I didn't have the, uh, the mental capacity to say, okay, that when that microaggression happened, that was from a place of hate. Like that wasn't from a place of appreciation or love. Um, and so that, that kind of like changed. And then when I was in Italy, it's, it's interesting in, because, and I don't, I'm not saying that like racism and homophobia don't exist in Europe because they definitely do. Um, but when I was in Italy, I was an artist first. Okay. And then 
my identity markers came after that. And so that was a whole new, like, way of understanding who I was as a person. Like, I still hold on to all of my identity markers, but to have, like, uh, something that's not physical or not social about me be the, the like, leading thing yeah. was, was, like, mind-blowing for me. You know, because in America, you, like, tell someone, like, oh, yes, I'm an actor. And they're like, okay, so what else do you do? Exactly. Or if you're in America and you're like, oh, I'm an actor. And they're like, this has happened to me so many times. I'll say, like, oh, I'm an actor. And they're like, oh, my God, have you auditioned for Pose? Oh, my gosh. Like, you would be perfect for Pose. Like, you should look into doing Pose. And it's like, no shade. Love Pose. It's a great show and it's doing amazing things for amazing people. But not every queer person of color needs to be on pose. On pose. Or that's their experience. Right. Or that that's it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like we, everyone has different lives that they've lived. Or maybe, maybe, maybe too, like I have been working towards getting something like pose and haven't gotten to that point in my career yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, maybe that's a thing. But it doesn't invalidate any of the, like, other identities that I have going on. Yes, and I also think that poses are very interesting. And I haven't watched since... I think I started season two and I wasn't able to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that pose... It's very interesting because it's great for people who are just walking in to what queerness is. It's a great introduction. It's a one-on-one course. And I think that it's... Because my mom watched it, my aunt watched it, and, you know, they're from the South. Like, they're not not bigots at all, but definitely are coming into understanding um, different things and identities. And I, when I watched it, I was just like, I just want other narratives to come out, too. Right. And I think that India Moore, they're very outspoken, and they said Mm -hmm. that. Like, someone said... I love the fact that India Moore played um, a cis woman in Queen and Slim. And, I remember that, yeah. And India Moore. And India was like, girl. Right. She got her together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You don't know what I was. My character just wasn't dealing with, you know, the traditional queer story. Right. And I think that when we're telling these this narrative is there has to be that like people st- struggle with other things that are not just their identity and like what that looks like mm-hmm. but also like identity is so important because that becomes your day-to-day yeah if we were all isolated and we were kind of all just doing our own different things by ourselves in like a little room mm-hmm. i feel like how we feel about ourselves would obviously be different but the way that people make you feel identity service purposes to protect you and to express yourself you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> deep, 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 deep. <laughs> and I wanted to transition more into the show, and now you yeah. can talk about character and really put on the map what eyeshadow is to you. Yeah, and you want it to be the viewers. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll kind of start from like where the where I like got the idea for the show was. Um, I think. 
for me, I was thinking a lot about like what it means to have queer, queer, transgender, non-conforming, LGBTQIA plus ancestors. Like, how do we connect ourselves to, to histories, um, especially as queer people of color, queer and trans people of color, um, because that's, it's, I, I don't want to say that it's a history that's lost, but it's one that we that is, uh, is not as readily accessible as say like normal African American history, mm-hmm. and even that is still something that's like loose. Right, like there's still so many holes that we have in that. So, so many stories that were lost. That were lost, right? So then, when we when we get to those intersections of identities, it's like, oh my gosh, like where where do we even start? Where do we begin? Um, and I think that one of the most prolific pieces of, as as someone who is 23 years old, and is a, a queer person of color, one of the most prolific pieces of history for me is the film Paris Is Burning, mm-hmm. right? Like that. That to me is, is kind of like a Bible in a way that that says you know this is this is the history of the lives that have come before you, um, but with that being said, Paris is Burning was filmed by a white woman, right? So, it's it becomes this this interesting perception on what what do we show, what do we record, um, and if. If we were to make a documentary about queer people of color in New York City in the late 1980s, early 1990s, filmed by queer people of color, what would that look like? Like, what would we show? What doors and rooms would you be allowed into? Right, exactly. Exactly. Like, who would be allowed to be a fly on the wall and at what times? Um, And so that was kind of the inception of of the idea of the project. Um, And it's changed a little bit over time, um, because then I, I started thinking about disco music and how it, disco, dance, like club, nightlife, how that became an escape for a lot of people of color and how you would enter these spaces and the outside world would become kind of like an afterthought in the world. Um, and so I got this this image of uh, someone performing for the very last time, like performing their their magnum opus lip sync for the last time to the world, um, but they don't know that it's their very last performance, um, and so that's kind of how. Which is real. Which is real. Yeah. yeah. Hella real. Yeah, you don't know when your last like hurrah is going to be. Especially for queer. Yeah, queer people. <laughs> like it's like yeah. it's very scary. Yeah. But yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it became a lot more topical, you know, when we post marriage equality, when it was like, okay, we have marriage equality, but trans women are dying at, at an ex- exponential Hunt, being rate. Being hunted for sport. Hunted for sport, literally. And it's it's like, how how are we addressing this? How are we, what, what are we doing about this, if anything at all, you know? And so I started writing the show and it kind of became this I, I read this medical article actually where it said you know when you when you die your when your heart stops your brain still operates for about like eight minutes mm-hmm. and so I was like well what what goes through our mind in those eight minutes like what do we replay what do we 
recall do we have any new thoughts at all and like as that as that clock ticks down closer and closer to zero like you have no choice but to be as honest as possible about what this life was that you just experienced and so that's kind of what the show is is that we have this character um her name is frisky jones and she is performing for the final time she doesn't know it and in the process of her dying we we kind of get this like duality of the final performance but also this documentary that she that she has been making but also the documentary that someone is making about her mm. right and so it's like these these three things kind of all converge at the same time um because that's kind of how life is like everything kind of happens all at once um, and it's up to us or the audience to determine what is important in this collage that's being created. Especially when you can't, you know, once you do die, you can't really control your narrative. Right. And I think that that's so real for so many. And you're talking about ancestors. Like, I'm thinking, like, I have an uncle who um, was queer, did drag. Mm-hmm. Um but came from a Jehovah's Witness family. Yeah. And it wasn't until my mom told me that he was, like, gay and he died of HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. Like, and I didn't know that because my dad didn't tell that to me. And it's not like he was ever ashamed or anything. Yeah. He just didn't feel the need to tell me. Yeah. But, you know, he existed in the world and then now left. Like, you have people to tell your story and who you are and having your eyes on you. And now he's just someone who died of cancer and not what, you know, he really died of and, like, what his life was. and Yeah, and what experiences he had. Right, and, like, Mm -hmm. little bits and pieces that my dad didn't know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because all I have is my dad's view of my uncle. Yeah. And not who my uncle actually is and i think that goes with identity as well like where does that live once you're gone and then the moment those eight minutes because all the things that we don't even realize yet you mentioned earlier the kind of consciousness that's kind of like delayed yeah the things that you look back to in high school that you didn't really see is like microaggressions yeah and but these microaggressions formed your identity whether mm-hmm. you knew it or not yeah mm-hmm. so you have everyone looking at like that that the concept of like a four, 45 minute piece of art of someone's life when they don't think they're gonna die and having the last lip sync yeah i think and that being like the marker because yeah. i don't think if someone said like said you know you're gonna die what's one moment that you can go back to that you know what i mean yeah like choosing one yeah it's just like that either want to relive again or someone said if that was going you're gonna put a pin in who you are as a person what moment would you choose yeah like (laughs) yeah exactly and i think too that the what what i'm trying to do with this show in comparison to other shows that i've worked on is like frequently with with theater you know you have your exposition Mm-hmm. right and you you are introduced to these characters their background their stories everything about them but what happens if we start in the middle like if we if we ignore introductions if we ignore pleasantries and we just we just start 
like yeah. at a point. How impactful is that? Is that effective at all? I, I don't know. Well, we will find out in mm-hmm. February. Um, <laughs> but also, like, someone, someone asked me the other day, they were like, do you think that the show is autobiographical? And I was like, I don't, I don't think that it's autobiographical. I think that there's some, some moments in the show that like intrinsically and intrinsically we as artists like kind of just put into the things that we're making. Um, but I've, I've tried really hard to, to make a fictional representation of what, who my, who my ancestor is. Or the avatar for my ancestors, if that makes sense. Um, and it's like, it's very challenging, but it's also very cathartic. Like, it gives me a chance to imagine what all of the possibilities that come with being who I am in at all times and in all ways. And, and in, in all rooms at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that idea is something that is not necessarily mainstream. It's very underground. Mm. And I, I kind of like that. Like, I was... Someone was doing an interview where they were talking about Drag Race, and they were like, oh, Drag Race is becoming mainstream. And I, like, found myself getting so frustrated. I was like, no, I don't want it to be mainstream. Yeah. I want it to be something that, like, only a small group of people know about. Like, only a small people, small group of people know about the the freedom and the the excitement that being queer person being a gender non-conforming person being a trans person like what all of those things mean to us yeah. right but i've also in like producing this show for a wider audience have come to realize that like you know something doesn't become mainstream overnight like it takes a lot of small things for something to become mainstream yeah um and so my my contribution is my art making to that and capturing it and adding yeah and adding to this very vast tapestry of queer art that's you know happening not only in new york city but you know across the world um and i and i even when i was in italy like i met a couple of other artists who identified as queer um and they they talked about their own challenges with like being being Italian and like also being queer and also wanting to make work and like how that's valued in their society you know like everyone has their their different things but it's also interesting to see the ways that like American queer people of color how their how our culture has permeated across so many places right like the language like um, I one of my friends who's in Italy now, he's a dancer, and he was like, oh, we're going to have a ball, like, this weekend. And I was like, what? You're having a ball in Spoleto, Italy? Like, this yeah. is, this is like, the countryside of Italy. And they have, like, femme queen face, uh, you know, butch queen first time in drags. Like, all of this vernacular and vocabulary they have... Adopted? Adopted, yeah. And I don't even want to say that it's taken because it, it doesn't have that... that uh, feeling of appropriation it just has the um appreciation the I think appreciation a yeah huge difference but i also think it's interesting that in paris is burning which i didn't watch until maybe like two or three years ago mm-hmm. but everyone should watch it it's a really great um film yes during it you have 
queer people talking about wanting to be accepted into mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, like, who are people, again, when they're, like, the violence is not being done to them? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I forget the her stars. name. Yeah, I forget her name in the story, but she um, ends up being murdered. A Venus. Yeah, Venus. Venus extravaganza. Yeah. And that's kind of who the show, like, that clip... If this was a talk show and there was like a moment to show a clip, this would be the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's a clip of her, and this this is kind of reworded in the show a little bit, and it's who the show is dedicated to as well, um, where she she's laying on her bed and she's talking. She's like, you know, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be, you know, somebody's wife one day and have a family. Like all mm-hmm. all things that like any normal person would want. would want and would see as achievable. But for Venus, being a trans woman of color, it's like, it's seen as almost an impossible task to, to achieve. And it's like heartbreaking to watch. Um, but like you said, if, if we, if now we were it's to, flipped. yeah, now it's flipped. If we were to take away you know all of the the things that society has said is wrong about somebody like venus or has said is wrong you know somebody like me if we take away all that violence and all of those negative thoughts on a group of people who could they have been yeah like how many more heroes would i have had now would we have even needed a show like pose right would that even have existed because those people might have been you know academy award winning actors in not to say that that there's like a normal movie and a non-normal movie but in you know mainstream cinema right like that's it's it's like almost overwhelmingly an immense thought to have um but it's not you know it's not the reality it's not the reality and i think that the downside of it being flipped now is that people are adopting the language and I mean not to speak on the person that you met in Italy but uh, adopting the language without caring about the bodies and the lives right 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 which I think um, that's a big part of I mean Pose did it very well mm-hmm. like showing how devastating dying or being that sick HIV and like, yeah. AIDS and it, like nothing being done, nothing being said. Yeah, and I think that with any oppressed group of people, you know, in the the circle, which you're saying like you wanted it to be something that a select people know about drag and mm-hmm. the experience of it not being mainstream. When it gets bigger and issues aren't being addressed, still yeah. that sucks. Yeah, it's it fucking it's so sucks. Difficult. It's just like you adopt and you take. It, like a costume yeah and then there's so many things and they're not really understood mm-hmm. there's, there's so much violence yeah. done like even hearing people speak sometimes i'm like you're so scared of yourself that you're taking this taking out on a person other people yeah. who are living their truth right and i think about all the people who aren't living their truth and it's so sad like you you think that you know people and you don't we're all walking around and like we get married we're best friends with people that we know point five of their existence right mm-hmm. and i think that through art like this people can get a glimpse yeah but even so because humans are so fluid mm-hmm. can it ever be captured yeah exactly. i mean and you're attempting to do it and i think that's very yeah. beautiful yeah especially on 45 minutes which 
traditionally like plays are a little bit longer than that yeah yeah and it's it's probably going to be longer than 45 minutes it's interesting <laughs> that clip of Beyonce oh, oh what, what was she just like for all the fun the first time she was like oh we're gonna make it longer yeah we gonna, like yeah we're gonna, we gonna make it longer um I think right now it like runs like an hour and probably when we finish rehearsals it'll be like an hour 15 <laughs> um, but that's okay that's okay 15. yeah yeah we gotta we gotta get it to an hour 15 um but I think the the I 100% agree with everything that you said, and I just want to add to it that I think that even with the 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 violence and the the tragedy that that can sometimes immediately associated its itself with being a queer person, being a trans person, being a gender nonconforming person, and adding that to being a person of color, that there is so much beauty and joy that comes with this existence, yes. right? Like, there's so many beautiful things that come out of it. Like, I I can't remember who it was. I think I was somewhere in the South, probably, and someone was, like, saying something like, oh, I don't I don't really agree with, like, uh, you know, like, that lifestyle, you know, like, being gay or, like, being trans. Like, it doesn't really make sense. I thought to myself, I was like, how many beautiful things in this life do we have because LGBTQIA plus people existed right like we right. would not have half of our makeup trends we wouldn't have half of the clothes that we have like our favorite pop stars would not exist <laughs> like so many of our mainstream things have been orchestrated by queer and trans people of color you know so like back when, against the wall making yes. these things trying to we would have no madonna oh and i think pose <laughs> Calling her own now was yeah. beautiful. We would have we would have no because <laughs> we wouldn't have Beyonce. Yeah, we would have Beyonce, and Beyonce knows <laughs> her team Everyone is, around is thick. Her. Okay, right, <laughs> just entrenched. But but I think it's like that's that's something that I also want to capture with eyeshadow, and and that's kind of like why the show is called. If I knew you were coming, I would have worn an eyeshadow because I feel like there's so many moments in our lives as queer and trans people of color where we we. We want to to decorate to make to make it seem like this life is not as as horrific as sometimes it may seem. Mm. Like if someone were to walk through the door right now, like a stranger, I would want to I would want to present myself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I would want to present the idealized version of myself. Um, but in doing that, it's it's a very messy process. Yeah, to get to that point. You know, and so that's like what what the show kind of that's the space that it lives in. And how do you think that you have directly and indirectly prepared for this role? I mean, mm, we talked about it yeah. a little bit, but absolutely well, not reflecting well, on it. <laughs> it's funny because when I was in Italy, a lot of the show, uh, I'm in heels and I'm dancing in heels. Um, and when I first started the rehearsal process, I was like, oh, this is not going to be that hard. Like it like plenty of people do it. <laughs> I think I am just now like realizing like how. realizing what it does the to the body. Yeah, like the strain and the strength that it takes too. Like whew. It's for real. Baby. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> but preparing preparing for yeah. the role is like, you know, just doing doing as much as I can. I think to the living in the space of being uncomfortable. Mm. I think is a big part of the preparation. And I know we've talked about her so much, but <laughs> Beyonce, in in uh, I think it's in Homecoming. She mm. says something like, um, 
rehearsal like rehearsal is hard because it makes you realize what you can and can't do yeah and that has been the hardest part of this show is be- I, Caroline Burkhardt who's our choreographer who you know Caroline. she's great I don't know she did yeah mm-hmm. she's a choreographer she's beautiful and amazing and wonderful um but there would be moments where there still are moments and there are moments to come where we she would like present you know some some steps and I would be like maybe that's not gonna happen yeah that's just like I I want to I, yeah. I want to get to that point and maybe in two years when the show happens again I can do that thing yeah Right. That's growth. That's growth. Yep. You know what that is? Growth. growth. <laughs> um, but maybe I will get to that yeah. point. But right now, it's like, that is not going to happen. Gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I want it to. But playing to my strengths, I think, is the most important thing mm. with this show. Like, I know I can't do the splits. I know I can't, you know, jump and do a triple axel. Um, but I know that I understand. I know that I can dance. One. I know, how to, I know how to move my body and, like, follow a beat. I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot. Yeah. I watched those, uh, it's coming yes. back, those, like, those Darren, um, those those videos that it was, like, him teaching, like, he oh. was a choreographer for, yes. I used to watch this in my living room, and it is why I dance the way I do. I'm a horrible yeah. dancer, so I applaud you. No, that's okay. okay. <laughs> we'll come to rehearsal, we'll help you out, we'll help you out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, like, playing to my strengths and knowing that... It's okay to be to be lacking in some areas because you can make yeah. up for them in other areas. Because that's what the character, and I think that that's beautiful because that's what the character is. Yeah, absolutely. What everyone thinks is the best is, and perfection is not. Right. And I think that. And we're not everyone, going for perfection. Exactly, and I think that it was said in Queen and Slim, and again, different because it had to do with the identity of being black. But yes. it was said, why do black people want to be like exceptional all the time? Why you gotta, and I don't think that yes. I, for every person who's like coming from a press group, like, why are we gotta do the most? Why, why do we have to be, be perfection? Why can't we be normal? There's beauty in being like, that's, I gave my best, that was my last performance, and it's not perfect because that's reality. Yeah, or even someone, and this is a horrible example to use, but there was a meme on Twitter where someone was like, it's not, I shouldn't say it's horrible, it's funny. Someone was like, y'all know that not all of us were kings and queens, right? Right. And I was just like, whoa. I know mm-hmm. so many people that need to hear that. Because right. Because there are a lot of ancient people. Yeah. And that's okay because we're all human. Yeah. And we all contribute to the human experience. Yeah. If we didn't have, if all we had is kings and queens, who's going to be the doctor? Who's going right? to cook the food? Exactly. Who's going to take care of the kids? But that, and that's what I'm saying. Like, just, I feel as though we're capturing these stories because they're so a minority of stories like this. Like, yeah. The, obviously like the trans experience isn't experience i mean isn't presented in every story yeah. black experience isn't presented in every story that any time that it is given it's just like we're gonna do it we're gonna do it well everything has to be perfect you gotta put on and how respectability politics that is yes like mm-hmm. why are we doing that it's yeah. okay yeah, it's fine. if you can't do the what is it, the triple axel triple axel yeah mm-hmm. I, I tapped out we'll after the, the um right before the jerk <laughs> i know that <laughs> <laughs> I can't jerk. I tap. I tapped out between walk it out and the jerk. I can't dance, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's all right. I've accepted that as my plate in the world. Yes, absolutely. And that's my legacy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that too. I mean, with this, with this show, that I, I just want it to be 
like one of my really good friends, John Jarbo, he is um, the artistic director of a theater company in Philadelphia called mm. The Bearded Ladies. You should check them out if you're in Philadelphia. I heard that. Yeah, mm. very like spectacular art making. Um, he was talking to me and he was like, "Well, who is like, it is this show for you, or is it for the people that are watching?" And I was like, <gasps> "What is my next question?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I was like." <gasps> That's that I I don't know. I you know, part of me like I was talking earlier about like the show being a form of catharsis for me. But on the other hand, I I think that it is for it is for my queer trans and gender nonconforming people of color siblings. Um and also for the people that don't identify with any of those things. Mm. Um, but I don't know if I have a specific answer right now. And I, I hope to have an answer when the show is finished. And that's a hard thing. Even years after that. Yeah, even years after this. I, I hope that I look back on it and I'm like, that, that was the moment where I understood what I wanted my art to be. Mm. And that's that's like... That's a battle because, especially like, and even when you're making art, people ask you like, "What is the show about? What do you want to say with it? What, 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 what?" Which is so exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting, yeah. Like, unless you can, can have a conversation feel. about it. If you can have a conversation about yeah. it, I take that differently because I'm like, okay, I can, I can like elaborate on the ideas that I have and elaborate on the thoughts that I have, even though they might change drastically right. in six months. And I think that, I mean, that moves into my, my next question or next topic. Mm-hmm. It's just like, what are you thinking? You're saying that it's for other people, but also yourself. But all these, you still need to reflect on it. Yeah. What do you think the power of it not being like a straightforward narrative mm-hmm. of character to end does? Yeah. So you have projections, it's experimental, mm-hmm. it's dancing, it's lip syncing, yeah. like... What does that do for the story in a world where people still don't even know that there are not two genders? Mm. And you say that yes. you're you're not... And in stories, it's very, like, in a conventional way. You introduce your character. You make the audience care about your character. But what does it mean to you also for it to be straight in the middle? Yeah. We don't know. Mm. <laughs> like, we we only know what we see of the character. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a oh, that's a good one. <laughs> She's professional, y'all. She's professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I think that the two mirror each other in some way. Like when, this is something that I learned my my first time when I went to the director symposium at La Mama. Um, Moises Kaufman, who's a playwright, um, he's the, the playwright for the Laramie Project. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of that. Um, and he, he was talking about form and how. Frequently in, in theatrical environments, we'll see someone put a hat on a hat, which means, like, say say you have uh, a living room drama, something like The Glass Menagerie, mm-hmm. um, where you have a family living in an apartment, and they're going through trouble. What happens if you take, if, if the set that you see is not a living room? What happens if it's uh, outdoors? What happens if uh, if it's raining mm. the entirety of the play? 
like how do all of those things inform the information that we're receiving because we're very visual people right we're, we we take in sight we take in sound we take in environment um so what happens when all of those things are just like in a giant blender yeah. like what you might see something different than what i see mm. like maybe you see the rain and i see the fact that there's grass you know may, like each of us is going to have a different entry point um but i think for me when i was you know, thinking about the design elements, um, and Rebecca Rouse, who's our sonographer for the show, she, she and I have talked so much about like what, what are the visual points in the show? Like, what does the set look like? How do the projections inform what is being said out loud? If anything is being said out loud at all, mm. you know, like maybe, maybe the song, the lip sync song, tells the whole story. Yeah. You know, so it's like all of these things mixing together, which I think is like a form of queering theater, which and is like making really people exciting. feel things and rather intellectualizing it. Yeah, like, like I think that's listening very a feeling important. instead and that's of that's how like art logic. should be consumed. I don't even mm-hmm. say should. Should doesn't exist in the you know yeah. the same sentence as yeah. art. But like when you're consuming it, it should just be about like feeling. Like how did that make me feel? Yeah, like people know can. People can feel things before they intellectualize anything. I think it's kind of like the lightning and the sound thing. And when I feel like when you intellectualize things too much, it's like you missed it. Yeah. Because you were so busy like trying to like connect it all together when things are not always like supposed to connect. Yeah. Even I went to see a show called uh, Night of the Moles. That's what it was called. And mm-hmm. um, the 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 director the creator of the show it was an, an experimental theater piece his name is Philippe Kahn's and he is French and the show literally was seven life-size people in mole costumes just destroying this elaborate set that was built and then after the show there was a talk back and someone was like so like what was the story like what was the what was the overall arc of the show and Philippe he was like well you know I think that uh, there is no story you know this is just a moment in the most life and it is on stage for you to see kind of like a terrarium mm-hmm. and I was like whoa that's fascinating Deep. but it's also European yeah like that's which moves such... us into our next question yeah mm-hmm. which is like Okay, so Julius wrote me this long email, which I really appreciate it, because I love, like, information, um, about eyeshadow. And to end it, you said, the European approach to theater, which mm-hmm. is so different, and I think that, I was like, I was angry coming over here, because mm-hmm. I was like, people don't take time to consume art anymore, yeah. and the art of, like, even interviews, and everybody just wants it. This kind of like capitalist mindset of like product, sell it. How do we get people to care? How do we get people to listen? And I think it's made even worse by the fact that people need to be tricked into caring about this. And I think that that has to do so much with the speed of art, which you discussed. Of like, this show is at one form and it will take another form later. Mm -hmm. You, You like... I have so many scripts that I've written, like, and then I repurpose later. Yeah. And you re- and you know what I mean? It's just like... Yeah, I already have one that I'm working... Like, right now, I'm thinking to my... I, this past week, even while I'm working on eyeshadow, thinking to myself, I know what the next thing is going to be. 
and it's going to be a repurposed version of something that I wrote three years ago. Right. Like, that idea is good. I need to come back to that. Exactly. But, like, at the time, something was not, like... But we're so focused on this has to be perfect. This is my one shot. But that's because people just... It, it, like, infuriates me, actually, that people, like, even, like, an interview, like, something like this, Mm -hmm. people would like it better if, like, we kind of went to when Julius spoke about this, when Julius, like, this click things of, like, two minutes of an hour conversation, Mm -hmm. that's how people consume and digest things, and that's, like, not how things are supposed to be. At all. And, like, things change with more context and more life, Mm -hmm. and... Absolutely. What do you think that this show has prepared you for, like, the future as a director? Yeah. Because, you know, I was introduced to you. I mean, we really got close because we were both RAs together yeah. at our college. Ooh. Ooh. That's a whole other episode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we had that experience of that show. Yeah. And for context, like, I haven't seen Julius in, like, two years. I know. Like, it's been so really long. sad. Yeah. But, hey. We're here um, now. Exactly. What do you think this is going to take you in the future mm-hmm. as it is right now? Yeah, as it is right now. I I see myself um, really going into... I, I love acting so much, and I think that it's... I, and I, but I also love, like you said, directing and making things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot more of... A lot more of, like, solo performance I see in the future. Um, but also I think that one of the things that at the beginning of the like inception of this show and I, I talked to, I don't know if I talked about this in my email, but I recently put it on my website is that I'm really interested in putting together, um, like an arts production collective or company, mm. um, that like focuses on people of color, that focuses on queer voices, transgender, non-conforming voices, um, but that that is interdisciplinary, right? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like we have a lot of things where it's like, oh, a group for people that are interested in film. Oh, a group of people that are interested in theater or a group of people that are interested in visual art. But what happens if we have uh, a collective or a group where all of those things are allowed, where all of those things can flourish? Um, and we, me, and whoever else I have, you know, to help make this thing happen, what happens if we help everyone produce these things right because even like we were talking about a little bit pre-interview um it's like self-producing art like doing shit on your own is hard (laughs) it's hard it is so hard right and then i even like asking for money you think to yourself like okay i need to ask all of my rich friends nine times out of ten those rich friends are also white friends so how do you make them care about About your art art? right How, how do you even i wrote this tweet the other day and then afterwards I was like I want to delete this shit it was like uh, we've reached 50% of our fundraising goal help help uh, help support black queer art in the future and it was like yes I want people to support black queer art in the future but also like why do I have to to say it why do I have to say it like why do I have to like cause if if uh, Charles and uh, Hunter you know have a film that they want to make. This is no shade, no tea, like hey, to anything that I've seen. I love a tea, but mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the kettle and just like mm, set it to the side. They have like a film project where like we don't know what it's about. We don't know who's involved. We don't know where the money is going to, and that's fully funded in three days. 
Exactly. It's like, where, where are we as a society? <laughs> that's a thing that's, that's like, so sad oh, that's, like, we need to see that again. That's the narrative we need to see right. again. And it's like the Indiegogos and the GoFundMes. And it, I'm actually producing someone, um, a queer filmmaker's fi- like, film, and it's very beautiful. And we need money. And I just don't want to write a GoFundMe for them that is like, I'm queer and I'm, you know, black and I have the story that I really want to tell. And basically like porn for people to have to care because people love stories like that. People love, people love to make it feel, to make them feel good. This idea that they're helping out. I don't know. It's just like, yeah. it's so stressful. Mm-hmm. And the filmmaker that I'm, I'm working with doesn't want to do a video talking about it. And it's just like, I I've avoided the, I know. <laughs> I've avoided the video. I need to do it. It's so funny because I told myself yesterday, I was like, I'm going to film the video being like, hey, my name is Julius. I'm doing this thing. Help me out. Um, but I keep putting it off um, because, because it's that thing where it's just, it's so hard to ask. It's, it's hard to ask and it's hard to just like pin yourself up. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's just like capitalism. Yeah. That's capitalism. But yeah. We're, we're fighting through it. We're living in it. And that's that's what matters. Cats. I know. <laughs> Horrible film, by the way. Yeah. Oh, oh, I saw it last night. Oh, you did? Okay. I haven't. I, that was just me like shitting on it. Though, no, actually. I saw it. Last, no, it was bad. But it's like I, I went into it thinking to myself like this is what it's going to be. 95 million dollars that's what's wild a loss mm. but we can't get we, money to i can't make. get four thousand dollars to like make you know it's, and that's a great segue people yeah. donate like yeah. now that you've heard this beautiful conversation and i don't know inside yeah. julie this is like a rare interview julie, yeah i know i think this truth. is the most that i've spoken about <laughs> the show in so long since so. this summer yeah, like I feel so. This is a pleasure, yeah, like hearing yeah. about like your process, yeah. and yes, this is another episode of Recess Podcast. Can you tell them where to donate? And yes, absolutely. Where your sh- uh, your show is going to be? Yes, absolutely. So if I knew you, if I knew you were coming, I would have worn eyeshadow. It's going to be at the Tank on February eleventh, twelfth, eighteenth, and nineteenth, all at seven p.m. Tickets are only twelve dollars, um, but for any queer people of color, transgender, non-conforming folks, if you have a problem with that. Just let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Hello Julius. Um, you can also go to my website, which is new. Yes, yes I just I just redid website. it the other day. <laughs> yeah, which you saw <laughs> when you told me you looked at it. I was like, ooh, I hope it was okay. Um, but it's JuliusJordanPowell.com, um, and I'm sure Alicia will like put yes, that definitely. in something. And then that you go to that, and that can link you to everything. Everything. Yes. So that was another episode of Recess Podcast. Please. <laughs> Watch out for the next episode. Yes, I'm going to be tuned in. I'm going to be tuned in. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone. I always had hopes of being a big star. Then I look, as you get older, you you aim a little lower. And I just say, well, yeah, you still might make an impression. Everybody wants to leave something behind them, some impression, some mark upon the world. Then you think, you left a mark on the world if you just get through it. And a few people remember your name. Then you left a mark.
You don't have to bend the whole world. I think it's better to just enjoy it. Pay your dues and enjoy it. If you shoot an arrow and it goes real high, hooray for you.